This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good evening. First of all, again, thank you to uh, David Solomon for continuing to set this up and to uh, have the shear. Should be a uh, for him. The shear should also be a uh, for the greater Muncie community. Also, it's uh, sponsored by Chazak. They're having a, um, they do tremendous things. They're also having a Sadaka drive on June 4th and 5th at givechazak.com. Today also happens to be uh, the yard site of my, my grandparents, Baruch Ben Shleima and Sarah Bas, Alazalipa, as well as an uncle, Tzvi Hirsch Ben Baruch, another uncle, Chaim Ben Baruch, an aunt, Chana Yenta Bas Baruch, another aunt, Dina Bas Baruch, and another aunt, Tinda Fega Bas Baruch. They're all killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem and Auschwitz, and uh, Tavshin Dalit today. And uh, I guess the shir should also be a lead in the Shamas, as if they need one if they're killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem. There's once a group of soldiers, a group of sailors in the Navy, they wanted a promotion, and they were studying very hard for it. And one day the ship was traveling in the Pacific Ocean, and the captain calls over one of the soldiers, one of the sailors, he says, Sailor! What would you do if a storm comes from the north? He says, uh, Officer, if a storm came from the north, I would quickly drop uh, an anchor and steady the boat, st- steady the ship. He says, Okay. What would you do if a storm came from the south? I would drop an anchor and steady the ship. And then the captain looks at him and says, and Sailor, what would you do if another storm would come at the same time? I would get an anchor and throw down an anchor and steady the ship. The captain looks at him and says, and what would you do if another storm comes? Well, I would throw down an anchor and steady the ship, captain. Also, the captain looks at the sailor and says, sailor, where are you getting all these anchors from? He says, same place you're getting all these storms from, sir. And that's what happens in life. There are many storms that we have to weather. But it's much easier if we know that with every storm that we get, comes along an anchor. Every storm that Akash Baruch Hu sends us, He sends along together, even before perhaps, an anchor. And we're supposed to use those anchors. We're supposed to use those things to help us. And of course, our most steady and our most reliable anchor, of course, is the Tyra. We have the Tyra, and if we anchor ourselves to the Tyra, then we can weather any storm. And now that we're very close to Shuas, no coincidence that we lane Parshish the parsha starts off in If you go with my chukim, Rashi, well-known Rashi, asks, "What does it mean in So you may think it means ki mitzvahs. Says it can't be ki mitzvahs because that's the next words. So he says, therefore, what does it mean? It means in you should work in Torah and understanding the Torah. As the next Rashi says, Amenas Lishmo Lekayim. You should be able to do all the mitzvahs. And therefore, it's so important to learn Torah. And let's say we learn Torah. So the Pesukim continues. You're going to have Gishmechem Be'itam. It'll rain in its proper time. The earth will give you the proper produce, the trees. Everything will be wonderful. And then the Pesukim continues. And if you continue to learn Torah, Ufanisi Aleichem, I will turn to you. The phrase he asks him, and I will increase you. The phrase he asks him, 
and I will once again establish my covenant with you. So Rashi says, what do you mean again? You already have a bris. So Rashi says, no, no, that was lost by the eagle. This is another bris. So maybe we'll lose this one also. No, this one we're not going to lose. But we have to be Amal Vatayra. Interesting, Rashi says, what does it mean, Ufanisi Aleichem, I will turn to you. So Rashi says, Ethnemikola Sakai, I will turn away from all of my other concerns, Lishalim Scharchem, to pay you your reward. What does that mean? So Rashi says, Mashalma Dover Daima, Lamelach Shasachar Payalim. Tereskanim tells us that there was a king, he had a bunch of workers, and it came time to pay them. See, he had one worker who was there for a long time, and he had to pay him a lot of money. He had other workers who was there, there for a short period of time. So he tells the worker who was there for a long time, look, let me take care of these guys first, I have to pay them quickly, and then you, I have a big chazim with you, I have a lot to pay you. That's what it means over here, Shem is saying, all the other nations of the world, they get schar, but it's pretty quick. Then I'm going to turn to you, Klai Yisrael, I have a big chazim with you. But it's still difficult to understand. Because why does the Pasuk say, Ufanisi Aleichem, I will turn to you, as Rashi explains, Ephna Mikola Sakai, I will turn away from all my concerns, everything I'm busy with. What comes to mind is a busy executive, he's in his office, the secretary comes inside and says, someone's here to meet you, the phone is ringing, then he's getting a call that a shipment is late, then he's getting another call that something's wrong with the computers, and the executive is going crazy. He says, everyone stop, I'm going to focus on one thing at a time, I can't do everything. Hold my calls. Not talking to you. Is that what's going on here with Hashem? Hashem say, Ayvay, I got so much going on. I got an earthly going on over here. Somebody davening for his red light ticket over here. This guy, I can't deal with everything. I'm going to turn away from everybody. I'll focus on you. That's not, that's not how we understand the Baruch Hu. What does it mean in the positive? I will turn to you. And Rashi has to add in. I will turn away from all my concerns. So they say... One time, the Vilna guy in his younger years used to give a shear in the shoal in the town. And one time, they were getting ready to give the shear, and everyone's sitting there ready, he's about to start, and all of a sudden, one of the Bachrim come inside. A 20-year-old Bachrim comes inside, and the Vilna guy sees him, and the Vilna guy stands up. So all the Bachrim see the Vilna guy stand up, so they all stood up. The Bachrim walked inside, he was very embarrassed, didn't know what was going on. He quickly runs to the seat, he sits down, the shear was over, and everybody starts crowding around this bachar. He says, what's going on? Why, why did the Vilna guy stand up for you? He goes, I don't know. What do you, you don't know what's going on? He goes, I don't know. And they're tumbling. And then two bachar went over to the Vilna guy. He said, Rebbe, what, what's going on with this bachar? Why did you stand up for him? He says, you really want to know? He says, okay. He calls over the bachar. He says, bachar, come here. And he asks him a question. No, Rebbe, no, no student ever wants to hear this from the Rebbe. He says, young bachar. Where were you last night? Nobody wants to hear that question. He says, uh, I was at home. He says, and what were you doing at home? He says, uh, I was sleeping in bed. You were sleeping in bed the whole night? He's getting a little nervous. He said, um, well, come to think of it, I, I was sleeping in bed, and in the middle of the night, I, I couldn't sleep. I was tossing and turning, I couldn't sleep. So I got out of bed, I heated up some milk, some warm milk, I took out a Gemara, I drank my warm milk and I started to learn. And it worked. 20 minutes later, I fell asleep. So the villain guy says, I want you to know, during the 20 minutes that you were learning, there was a moment where you were the only person in the whole universe learning Tyra. 
Nobody else in the universe was learning Torah then. You kept the terror, you kept the world going. Is it any wonder why I would stand up for you? The whole world was standing just for your sake. And we know his, his Talmud of Chaim Velazhin would always say, why did the Kashbaruch make the world with different time zones? So there should always be someone learning. Whether it's in New York, in Chicago, in LA, New Zealand, wherever it is, Australia, there's, there's always someone learning Torah. And that's why he stood up for this Bachar. So with this we can understand what the Pasuk is saying. If you're going to learn Torah, I will turn to you. Says Rashi, I will turn away from all my concerns, to pay your reward. Which means, if you, your learning is so important, that's Kedai for me, says Hashem, to create the whole world, with the mountains, and the wind, and the atoms, and the sea, and everything, just for one Yid, who's learning Torah for one moment. Hashem says, Kedai for me everything, just for that reason alone. And that's what it means over here. With that we understand the Kayach of Torah. The purpose of, 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 of learning and the power of learning. But it's something that we have to believe. We have to believe it deep, deep in our hearts. The Kayach and the value of learning Torah. It's well known of Yashiv, who was the master of who learned tremendous. And his wife, supported him, Rabbi Tzinel Yashiv, was the one who, who helped to learn. One time they say his, her children came to her, they bought a percolator, a hot water urn. She used to get up three or four in the morning to cook the hot water, to make the coffee for Rav Yashiv. So her children bought her a hot water urn. You plug it in the night before, you don't have to wake up three or four in the morning for, for 10 or 20 minutes to make him a coffee. She looked at them and she was very insulted. She says, you think I have to get up? This is my biggest covet. I'm, I'm a partner with my husband in his learning. I don't need to give this over to a hot water urn to make the coffee. I want to do it myself. The bookend to that story is when Rebbe Tzinel Yashiv was very ill and she was on her deathbed and Yashiv was learning, they came to Rebbe Yashiv and said, it's time, it's the end. So he came rushing to his Rebbe Tzin. The Rebbe Tzin was still conscious, she sees Rebbe Yashiv come in and she looks at him and she says, what are you, what are you doing here? Says, I'm here to, to be with you now. She said, I don't understand, my whole life I gave up everything so you should learn. The last half hour, the last hour I have left, you're going to take that away from me? Go back and learn. You already know when to come. And he left. And he went and he learned until he heard of her Yitzhiya's Neshama. She and he both understood the Kayach Ha-Tayr. Question is, what about us? We're not on such a, such a Madrega. We sometimes look at the, at the, the Tayr and the Mitzvahs, it's an obligation, we're stuck. How are we supposed to look at it? Most of us don't learn 18, 19 hours a day. The Shleim Zalman Arbach was Rosh Shiva in Kol in Bait Vigan. And he lived in Shari Chasev. So he used to go back and forth every day by taxi. He used to have a steady taxi driver. One time, for whatever reason, it was a different taxi driver. So he's sitting in the taxi, and the driver looks at him and he says, What do you do in Yeshiva all day? He says, All day in Yeshiva? I teach Torah, I learn Torah. He says, there's so much to learn. He says, yeah, a lot of mitzvahs and Torah. He says, I don't understand. You have Shabbat, you have Kashrut, that's it. So many mitzvahs to learn. What else do you need? It's ridiculous. He says, what do you mean? He goes, it makes you crazy, so many mitzvahs. You can't live like that. Shabbat, Kashrut, that's it. So Shlomo Zalman sees nothing to answer this fellow. So he's quiet. They're driving. A few moments later, they come to a red light. 
So they're sitting waiting by the red light. And Shlomo Zalman turns to the taxi driver and says, Hello, you know, the, the meter is running. Why, why aren't you going? He says, It's a red light. He says, Yeah. So you can't drive in a red light. He says, Don't be ridiculous. I'm paying you. You go. He looks at me and says, They say the rabbis are smart. You don't look very smart. He says, What do you mean? He says, It's a red light. I can't go. He says, Please, you can make it across. Go. I'm in a rush. I have to go. So he looks at Shlomo Zalman and says, Hello. If we go through this light, we're getting into an accident. We're not going to go anywhere. So he says, I don't understand these red lights. Crazy, you can't drive. So the taxi driver says, I told you, you can't go anywhere if you don't have these traffic lights. So Shlomo Zalman looks at him and says, I wish you'd understand what you just said. What do you think the mitzvahs are? The mitzvahs stop you. The mitzvahs are what keep us going. The mitzvahs are what helps us travel. The mitzvahs are what help us go through life and accomplish. Just like a red light, it stops you. Without a red light, nobody will be able to go anywhere. It's the same with the mitzvahs. It's the mitzvahs that keeps us going. So the question is, how do we look at these mitzvahs? How do we look at mitzvahs? Are they an obligation? Are they a hassle? Or is it the mitzvahs that help us grow, and the mitzvahs that help us accomplish? So we think, okay, it's very nice. It's a little difficult sometimes, but what am I going to add to the Torah? So I'm going to learn a little. Does it really make a difference to anybody? How do I know that my, my mitzvahs will make a difference? The truth is, we say in davening on the Yom Kachenu b'mitzvah secha, v'sein chalkenu secha. What does it mean v'sein chalkenu? Give me my portion in your Torah. What's my portion? Well, I should learn Torah. Give me Torah. What's my v'sein chalkenu b'seres secha? So we know Chazal tells us that every single person has something that he is supposed to accomplish in Torah, and if he doesn't accomplish it, if he doesn't bring it down to this world. It won't happen. His neshama was set up that he should do that. Okay, let's say I'm not a Rashi, I'm not a Rajma, I'm not a Kivegar. So what, what am I adding already? So the morale writes, what you're going to add is, that after a hard day's work, you're going to go to a shir, and there's going to be a Maggit shir, and he's going to be teaching the Gemara, and then he's going to teach a Rambam, and then there's going to be a face, and he didn't say this part, but a Kivegar on it, and you are listening to all this, and you're going to add one little knech on top of that Rebbe That's your chalik and that you were supposed to add. But if you wouldn't have been by that shear, you wouldn't be able to add anything. And that's what we're diving for, but we have to appreciate that we have what to add. You know, there are people who say, okay, so I'm going to add a little thing, what's the big deal? The question is, how much do you really want it? Because if you really want it, there's what you to add. You know, in May Sharm, there's a shul, Yeshua's Yankov. And many years ago, there was a Maggit Shir who would give a Shir, mostly to elderly Yidin. And there's one Yid who would come, an old Russian Yid, and he would come early to the Shir, he would open up all the Gemaras, and he would make sure everyone had their tea. And then when the Shir was over, he would close the Gemaras and collect them and put them away. About two and a half years while he, after he was there, the Maggit Shir noticed that he wasn't coming anymore. One day, two days, three days. The fourth day, he's, he's not there. He inquires where he lives. And he goes to visit him. Knocks on the door. And the fellow opens up the door. He says, oh, Shalom Aleichem, we missed you at the shear. Is everything okay? So I'll tell you the truth, everything's not okay. I'm an old man. I'm not feeling well. I really, really want to go, but I have no kayach. Okay, the fellow sits down. The magachir sits down with him. He starts to schmooze with him. And he starts to tell him, he says, you know, I came from, uh, from Russia. I didn't have the opportunity to learn. And even now, I come to the shir, I don't really understand what you're talking about. 
So the Magid, she looks at him and says, two and a half years you're coming to the shir, and you don't really know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, so why are you coming? Maybe, uh, so I'll tell you why I'm coming. Because I was in the Russian army. And when I was in the Russian army, we had to know the Tsar's family. Perfectly. And they would every once in a while test you. They'd pull you out, a soldier during, you know, you're standing there at attention, they pull out a soldier. Who is Tsar Nikolai's uh, wife? And you'd have to answer, uh, Serena Alexandria. And you, uh, who is Tsar this and Tsar that? And Serena this, Serena that. And you have to know every name of every single king and their wives and their sisters and their brothers perfectly. If you didn't know it, you'd get court-martialed. I knew it perfectly. I still know it now, he said. But now I came to Eretz Yisrael, and I had the opportunity to learn Torah. And I realized very quickly, in my age, it's not working. But I said to myself, if I can know all the names of the Russian royal family, then shouldn't I know all the names of a Karsh Baruch's royal family? So I come, I learn Gemara, I learn who Abay is, Rava, Rabbi Yechnan, Rish I get to learn these things. That is what I'm learning. So we think about it. All of us can learn more than that. Just to know the names of Abaya, the names of Rava. And that is what we're supposed to do. To make sure we really, really want to do that. But that leads us to the question, do we really want it? Do we really, really want it? So how are we supposed to know if we really, really want to learn Torah? If we really, really want to do the mitzvahs? You know, I was once in a camp, and they brought over a kid, he used Nivalpeh, he used foul language. So they brought him over to me, and I was speaking to him, I said, why use foul language? That's not my fault, it slipped out. I said, yeah, but you shouldn't use it. He says, why are you getting upset at me? I told you, it wasn't my fault, it slipped out. So I said, I'm not upset at you that you said it. You're right, it was a mistake. What I'm trying to understand is why did it slip out? He says, what do you mean, it was a mistake? I said, only something that's inside could slip out. The question is, why is it inside in the first place? If it would never be inside, if you would never know those words, you would never think about those words, it wouldn't slip out by mistake. That's how you know what's inside when you know what slips out by mistake. A week and a half ago, there was a bar mitzvah bachar, named Yosef. Yosef was driving home by bike from yeshiva. He's going home. He's riding his bike. And he turned down the block and he had a head-on collision with a car. A young lady was driving the car. There was a head-on collision between him and the car. He flew off his bike and he smashed into the windshield. He bounced off the windshield, but the car was, didn't slow down completely yet, even though the car was trying to stop, and the car ran over this Yosef, this boy, 13-year-old boy. Hatzalah, as usual, was there in an instant. They took him, he was unconscious, and they brought him to the hospital. The parents came, and they're trying to see what's going on. The doctor says, look, we, we don't know what's going to be. The, the, they looked at the helmet. They said, if not for the helmet, he'd be dead for sure. But the velocity and the speed that the brain must have hit the skull, we don't know the extent of the brain damage he's going to have. They didn't even discuss the broken bones on both his legs. But they're concerned, what's, is it going to be comatose? Is it going to come out of it? What's going to happen to him? How much brain damage? They said, look, we're going to give him a CAT scan now. They give him a CAT scan, and they have to incubate him. They have to put in a breathing tube just to make sure he's going to be breathing. And the parents are there, they're saying to him, they're very difficult situation. And then after the MRI was over, the doctor comes over to him and says, Listen, we're going to have the results in about an hour or so. That's going to tell us a certain amount. But there's other things that we can't tell from the MRI. They have these spider type of 
nerves that extend from the brain to the rest of the body. We're only going to be able to see that later when he wakes up. To see what happens. When he wakes up and we see he can breathe, we're going to take the breathing tube out. And I have to warn you, we don't know what's going to be. It could be he completely forgot how to talk. It could be he lost his ability to talk. Or maybe he's going to remember just the ABC. Or maybe he'll be so angry and frustrated, he'll let out a string of curse words. And when he said that, the father said, no, no, that's not going to happen. In our family, we don't say that. And the doctor said, yeah, I've heard that before too. But I just want to warn you. The kid was lying there, and the parents are sitting there saying to him, and a few hours later, the kid starts to stir, he starts to move. The nurse calls the doctor, the doctor comes running, and he comes to. And the first thing he does is he starts to grab this breathing tube going down his throat. So they blocked his hands, they didn't let him, they wanted to see at least for a minute or two if he can breathe on his own. So he starts to breathe, they're holding him down, he's thrashing about, which was a good sign, and they pull, slowly pull the breathing tube out. They pull the breathing tube out, it's all quiet in the room, and they're looking at him, and the kid's disoriented a little, he's looking around, he sees his mother, he sees his father, he turns to his father, he says, starts to talk, he says, Dad, what day is it? And the father's so surprised he can talk, he says, it's Tuesday. He says, what time is it? He says, it's almost three o'clock in the afternoon. And the kid looks at his father and says, Dad, I don't think I counted sphere last night. And the father bursts out in tears. This kid can talk. He can think. He remembers. He's ability to talk still. The next day, people came coming to visit him. And the father was saying over the story. And when he finished saying over the story, he started to cry again. So his friend said, wow, this story is uh, obviously very emotional for you. You're crying just by saying it over. He said, I'll tell you the truth. I'm crying out of joy like I cried last night out of joy. And I'm crying out of thankfulness to Kaddish Baruch Hu like I cried out of thankfulness to Kaddish Baruch Hu yesterday. But the crying today is a little different reason. What do you What's today? He said, I'm crying today because now I know what's deep down in my son's heart. If my son can wake up after that, and with all the warnings the doctor gave, what's in his heart is, I didn't count Sphira. That's what caused me to cry tears of joy. And the question is by all of us. What comes out of our heart? What slips out of our mouth when we're in a challenging situation? Do we hop at Tehillim? Do we get a Gemara and go learn? Or do you perhaps say other words that we wouldn't say in front of other people? Or do we have tainas about to the Rabbi Yisraelim when all of a sudden something goes wrong? Whatever is inside, that's what slips out. If it's not inside, it won't slip out. If you have a Gemara inside of you, if you have a Tilm inside of you, if you have that Betachan, that's what comes out. And that's the lesson we're supposed to learn from this. So you may be thinking, okay, that's all very nice. I'm supposed to learn Tyra. I'm supposed to do mitzvahs. Life will be wonderful if I do it. And everything will be good. But the truth is, okay. You know, everybody wishes everyone you should lift 120. i got plenty of time. Relax, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to my learning. I have time. There, was a, there is a person in the Mir Yeshiva, we would call him Rabbi Yamin Atzadik. His name was Rabbi Yamin Finkel. Tremendous person. And he used to say all the time that the Eitzara is a one-trick pony. He's a one-trick pony. The Eitzara has one trick up his sleeve. What's his one trick? So, you know, young people, they're full of zest, full of energy. They haven't been jaded yet by the world. We're going to change the world. We're going to accomplish things. And he comes over, the Eitzara comes over to you and says... I hear this, you're planning to finish 
the whole uh, whole shas. Oh, come on, relax. You can't finish the whole shas. You have to go go to sleep a little. You have to eat well. You have time to do it. You have time to do it. And someone else goes. He's going to start a program for place. You know, learning mishnayos balpeh, not talking in shul, uh, helping people with tzedakah, whatever it is. And the HR comes and says, "You, you're a young guy. You have plenty of time to do these things. Don't rush into it." And then one day. He said, okay, you know, I'm getting older. I better get started with all these projects. And then the HR comes over you and says, what are you doing? It's too late. Now you're going to start. It's too late. It's too late. Now you're going to start learning. Now you're going to start being honest in business. Now you're going to start not talking to It's too late. When does that switch over? When's that switch from you're too young, you have plenty of time, until it's too late, you're too old? When does that happen? Nobody knows. That's the HR. A person should never say, oh, I have plenty of time, I have plenty of time. The Chavetz Chaim used to compare it to a postcard. Okay, I don't know if people know, you can't email a postcard, I don't know what people know what postcards are. But postcards, for those who don't know, is, uh, it was a car, maybe 4 by 6 or 6 by 8 and it was cheaper to mail, in the physical mailbox, with a stamp. It was cheaper, so you'd send them a, a postcard. So you ever look at a postcard, in the beginning it starts off in big letters, Hi, how are you? How's the weather by you? The weather by me is great. What's doing? And now you already took up three quarters of your postcard. And then they start writing the serious stuff on the bottom. And now you're out of space. And now you turn the postcard and you start writing along the sides in smaller letters. And all the way to the top with arrows showing where to go. And then on the other side, not to get mixed in the address. Says the Chavetz Chaim, why are you doing that? You knew what you had to write. In the beginning you should have thought it through. And you can write normally. Don't write in big letters. Things are not important. How's the weather by you? What's doing? Said the Chavetz Chaim, you see a postcard, it's empty. I have plenty of room, plenty of space. Only at the end you start to conserve your energy. Said the Chavetz Chaim, that's what life is. You start off your life, I've got plenty of time, I've got plenty of time, I've got plenty of time to accomplish everything. And then before you know it, you don't have plenty of time anymore. And now you're scrambling to fit everything in. And we should make sure not to do that. We should make sure not to think. But today is the time to do it. And you think about this, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, the Berlin Wall came down, and the Russian Yidin had an opportunity now. But really, we had an opportunity. As Rapam said, we lost a shavit from Klai Yisrael. And our job was to get the Russians to, to be happy with Yiddishkeit. You can't force it down their throat, they have no idea what it is. In a pleasant way, and many, many people and organizations stood up to the challenge, stood up to the task, did a beautiful job. People open up camps, yeshivas, soup kitchens, business, everything they can do to help them. One of the groups of people opened up a camp in Russia. In Moscow, on the outskirts. And their plan was that they would give them a great time in the summer, slowly encouraging them to take upon themselves certain mitzvahs. And it was very, very successful. The highlight of their camp was that during the camp they would research their family tree. And the purpose of this research was to look for a name. Because they didn't have Jewish names. They didn't have Yiddish names. So they would look through the family tree to find a name that they would want to accept upon themselves. And the last Shabbos, they would have a big Kiddush. And they would call, and each girl would go, and they would, they would announce the name that each girl chose for herself. And there were big preparations, and they hyped it up. It was very exciting. Friday afternoon of the last Shabbos, getting ready for this big Kiddush, all of a sudden one of the men realized... We don't have a minion. We only have nine guys. Someone had to leave. We only have nine people here. We have 350 girls, only nine people. 
Now, they couldn't give the name without Sefer Torah, but you want a lane, you want a lane properly, they needed a minion. Everyone starts to ask each other, any Jews around? They're in the outskirts of Moscow, there are no Jews here. So one guy says, you know what, there's a guard in the front of the camp, let's ask him. So they run to the guard, are you Jewish? No? You sure you're not Jewish? No, never was, not Jewish. Any Jews live around here? Not around here. No one lives around here. No Jew, you sure? Maybe someone named uh, Aronovich. Maybe someone named uh, Chaimovich. Uh, Rabinovich. He says, you know, there is an old man down the block, two miles down, named Rabinovich. Maybe he's Jewish. Quick, before the guard knew what's happening, they throw him into the car, they drive down the two miles, they knock on the guy's door. Mr. Rabinovich, yes, are you Jewish? Like shocked to hear such a question. They spoke to him, they tell him what they want. He agreed to come for Shabbos. Okay? Comes for Shabbos. He comes to a davening, the beautiful davening of all Shabbos. And the man had a nice rakida, came to the Suda, and the families were sitting together. There's a beautiful Suda, they sang Zmiris. And then they benched. And after benching, this fellow was sitting there, and they saw that he was very, very deep in thought. So he said, well, everything okay? He said, I want to tell you something. When I was growing up, we weren't allowed to learn Taira. We weren't allowed to know anything about Yiddishkeit. But my father was a very firm person. And my father, when school was over, he would take me into the house and close the doors and say, okay, I have to teach you Taira. I have to teach you. And I would say, please, teach me how to make a living. I need to make money. I need food to eat. And my father would insist on teaching me how to read. And I kept on saying, please, I'm not interested. And we were fighting and fighting. And finally my father saw that there's no way he's going to convince me. My father says, fine. But I promise you, the day will come when you're going to regret that you didn't know how to read. And I laughed at him. And he looked around at the people there and says, I want you to know. With tears in his eyes he said, today is that day. My father was right. Today is the day I regret not knowing how to read Hebrew. I can't daven and I can't learn with you. Today is that day. I see how beautiful it is. You daven together, you sing together, you dance together, and I can't really fully participate. I lost out. Chas Hashem, that anyone here should, oh, should ever go and look back and say, oh, I regret that I didn't do. I regret that I didn't do. Now is the time we have this opportunity that we can do, we can't be kind of Unless somebody think, oh, come on. You know, it's very nice, Hashem gave us a terror a long time ago. But what's it do today? That's so long ago. You know, we're in Gullus a long time. Does Hashem really remember? And then if He does, we're not really as good as we were then. So Hashem is stuck with us. But if you think about it, we say every day in Davening, in Havarabah, we say, Uvonu v'charta in Kalam v'lashem. Hashem, you chose us from all the nations, from all the lands of the world. Hashem, you chose us. But then you look at the end of the, of the end of Ahavarava. What do we say? We say by the bracha, Habaycher ba'misovihava. What does Habaycher ba'misovihava mean? Who chooses us with love? So which one is it? Did Hashem choose us, or Hashem chooses us? Asher bachar He chose us already, or He chooses us? Which one is it? So, you know, there was two business partners. They've been business for about 35 years together. And you go over to him, he says, how's business going? Yeah, pretty good. How's your partner? He's, he's an animal. Disgusting. He says, so why are you still in business with him? Well, we're in business together 35 years. What should I do? We're making money. It's okay. 
I'm never going to visit him again, but that's what it is. So you would think, the same thing with Hashem. Hashem says about us, I remember how, how good it was. Lech teich you came, you went after me. Uh, when we went out of the Midbar when you were young and you trusted me. See, that was then. Maybe today Hashem says, look, I'm stuck with the Jews, what should I do? I already chose them then. Okay, so you know, they're good enough for now. But I never would choose them again. And we say, no, no, no. Maybe it's true that when it says, Uvonu Bechartim Ekolam Alashan, it's talking about, Abu Dram says, by Harsinai. But the main part is the bracha. Where do we say Hashem's name? By the bracha. Hashem chooses us. Which means if Hashem could make the decision all over again. All over again, He would choose us again today, just like He chose us all those thousands of years ago. And that's something we have to keep in mind. That right now today, each yid is worthy that Hashem would choose him for his nation. If I would ask you, when is Shavuos? Anybody know when Shavuos is? What's the date of Shavuos? That's correct. Every Yantiv has a date of Shavuos. Uh, has a date, right? Aleph Tishrei, Yud Tishrei. Every day, Chafei, Kislev, everyone, except for Shavuos. We celebrate, so to speak, Shuas on, on Vav. But the truth is, it's not really Vav. The Gemara tells us Shuas can come out on Hay, it can come out on Vav, it can come out on Zion. It all depends on how many days Nisan and Ir had. This and Ir have 30 days, and Ir has 30 days, then Shuas will come out on Hay. If they have 29 and 29, it'll come out on Zion. It's only when one is 29, one is 30, comes out on Vav. Why is that? How come every other Yantif has a date? And Shuas, no, Shuas 50 days after the beginning of Pesach. So there's many Pshatim. But there's a nice Pshat of Dasa says that in history we celebrate by the going the timeline. So for example, you know, July 4th is coming up. What do you celebrate July 4th? That uh, 240 some years ago, 243 years ago, the uh, United States declared independence. Very, very nice. So we're commemorating what happened all the way then. But our Yom Taivan don't work that way. He explained it's like a spiral staircase. The same hashpah that's in the world on Aleph Tishrei, every year is in the world again. The same hashpah that's in the world on Chafi Kislev is in the world again. Same with Shuas. The same hashpah that's in the world by Kabbalah Satira is in the world then again. The problem is that we may think that you really, really want to learn Taira? Vav. Vav Sivan, that's the day to learn Taira. Here specifically, the Torah is teaching us now. Learning Taira is no specific day. Learning Taira is every day. And therefore, there's no specific day when the Yantav is. It could be A, it could be Vav, it could be Zayin. But there's another Pshat that the Svarim say. And that is, it's called Atzeres. Shuz is also called Atzeres. Why is it called Atzeres? So just like Shemini Atzeres, you have Sukkot, you have Chalamayit, you have Shemini Atzeres. So too, Pesach. You have Pesach, you have a long Chalamayit, don't tell the kids they're going to want off for long call away from school. We're crazy all those trips. And then you have Shuas. What are you supposed to do from Pesach to Shuas? So we know on Pesach we bring a carbon, carbon sphera, carbon aimer, which is made out of barley, which is animal food. On, on Shuas we bring the Shteh which is made out of wheat, which is human food. And that's our goal, to go and not to be just people or animals that eat and reproduce, but to be human beings and to learn Torah. So if I were to ask you, what's so special about the number 307? Saying this, what's so special about the number 
307. Do we know what the number 307 is? 307 is the number of the Maina Mitzvahs of Sir Saimer. It's the three, 307th uh, Mitzvah. But that means that on each side of it, and before that are 306 mitzvahs, and others after it are 306 mitzvahs. Which means the mitzvah of Sir Saimer is the middle mitzvah of all Tariyag mitzvahs. And it's the same thing, just like if you want to hold up a, a, a roof, a ceiling, besides for the walls, you have a center beam. That's what the mitzvah sphere Saimer is. The mitzvah sphere Saimer is something to be able to hold everything up for us. And that is what a person is supposed to do and realize how powerful that is, that that can hold up everything. The sphere Saimer, the changing from the, the carbon Aimer of animals to the carbon of the Shteya So I just want to end with the following thought. By Nasa, by the, by, by Harsina, we say Nasa Vinishma. What does Nasa Vinishma mean? We will do what we will hear. What did that mean? What was so special about that? So recently there was a parade, a Memorial Day parade. And there was a fellow walking in a parade, and he had all sorts of medals on him. So someone came over to him and says, Oh, sir, I see you're in the service. He goes, Yeah, World War II, Korean War. He says, Wow, thank you for your service. He goes, You're welcome. He says, You know, you're, you're a real hero. So I'm not a hero. Well, uh, you're a patriot. Nah, I'm not a patriot. Well, you're really someone special to be admired. Nah. He says, what do you mean? You fought in these wars. You're unbelievable. He says, listen here, son. When I signed up to the U.S. military, it's like signing a blank check. That's what I did. Wherever they send me to go, that's what I did. That's it. I'm no hero. I just did what I had to do. So I was thinking, it's the same thing we said in Asa Vinishma. Whatever Shem asks us to do, that's what we're going to do. So you realize with this, that whatever Shem asks us to do is talking for our benefit. Sometimes we think we're going to do something and it won't be so good. But we should know that everything that Chazal tells us, everything that the Torah tells us is for our benefit. And just end with this thought. Before the war, there was a big tzaddik named the Yastina Rebbe. The Yastina Rebbe was known to be Baal Maifis. And thousands of people would always come to him for his brachas, for his eitzes. And one time, one of his chassidim came inside the Yastina Rebbe with a kvittal. The Rebbe looks at the kvittel, he's looking at the kvittel, and he gives it back to him, he says, uh, fill it out. He looks at it, fill it out. It's there, it's all filled. He looks at the Rebbe, he says, everything's there. No, fill it out. Takes it back, he's looking, gives it back to the Rebbe, it's all filled. He gives it back, he says, you're missing somebody. So he looks down, he says, Rebbe, he says, it's my daughter. She's not from. She went off to Berlin, she's with the Philharmonic over there, She's Michal Shabbos. We tried everything to get her back. It didn't work. We already sat sugar for her. The Rebbe looks at him and says, What? You don't write off a kid like that. You have to write her name down. But she's not. Write her name down. So he takes back the kvittel. He adds her name. He gives it to the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave his bracha. Then he says, You have to be metapal with her. You have to daven for her. Okay. Fine. He listens to the Rebbe says, and he spent the next, all his time diving for her as well. Three years later, the Nazis came. They all brought to the concentration camp, and everybody was wiped out. The war was over, and this fellow survived, and over a period of few weeks, he realized his wife was killed, and all his children were killed. He was broken, he was stuck in a DP camp for about two and a half years, and finally made his way to New York. He came to New York, he was at Sabrach and Amen, she had nothing. They put him up in some small apartment with some other people. 
Shabbos, he would go to shul. Maybe somebody would invite him. If not, he would eat at home. He would go to different shuls. One time he came to a shul. Above Hashem, he got invited. He comes to the house. He's walking with the, with the fellow to the house. And he's talking. He comes inside. There are a bunch of kids over there. They're getting ready. They sing Shalom Aleichem. And then they're ready to start Kiddush. He calls his wife out from the kitchen. She comes out. And he sees her. And he turns white. Because he realizes it was his daughter. He almost fainted. They went. They held each other. She tells him what happened. The war started. The whole thing happened with her. With the Nazis came. And she managed to get away. She came to America. And she realized the life she was living wasn't so good. And she became from. She married this person. Now she's a bunch of from kids. And he realized... You do what the Kosh tells you to do, and things will always be good. So the next few days we have coming up to Shuas, as the Svasemis would always say, it comes Rosh Hashanah, and everybody dabbles for Parnassah. He says, no, a bilkala arup, a bilkala arof. One more bilkala this way, one last bilkala, and we daven away. He says, but Shuas is coming. Shuas is an opportunity to daven, to strengthen our relationship to Kosh Baruch Hu. Make sure we seize that opportunity. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.